Last week we started a new sermon series that we're calling Unstoppable, not because of how powerful we think we are, but because of what God has promised to do and has been doing all throughout history. Even while the world continues to recycle the same objection and argument, I'm sure you've heard it, oh my goodness, church and Christianity is about to die out, it's about to die out, it's about to die out, it's about to die out, one more generation it'll be gone. But it just won't die. You know why? It's not kept alive by us. It's kept alive by our Savior, Jesus Christ, who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so in this series, I want to remind us all that here's what we're calling you to do. We have an opportunity to get in on what God is doing rather than trying to make something happen. I hope that makes you feel better. God hasn't called us to try to make anything happen. God is on the move, always has been, is right now, always will be. And we have the opportunity to get in on what God is doing. And so to help us get our heads around this, we're going to look at the book of Acts again to see what has God been doing and how can we be a part of it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I don't hear enough sound. Tell me you got a Bible and you're turning there. Make some noise. Acts chapter 8, because I want you to see it for yourself. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. That's not weird. It was, it was normal in that day to read out loud. Even if you're by yourself, you'd read out loud. It was very common to read aloud. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shear. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation. His justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does the prophet say this? In other words, who's the prophet talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Oh, this is a great passage. 
Because I don't think it's just telling us what God was willing to do back then and used to do back then, but what God is still doing today and is willing to do with you and me today and to work through us to reach people for Jesus Christ. But here's what I do believe. We've got to be ready and we've got to be expecting, expecting God to be working. We're not trying to make something happen, but you have to have the mindset that God is already working. God, give me eyes to see where you're working and show me how I can get in on it. So here's what I want to do from this passage. I want to give you five things that I think you can expect. Five things you can expect when you start waking up every day saying, God, I want to get in on what you're already doing. I don't want to try to make something happen today, but show me what is already happening, what you're doing and use me. Here's the first, number one. First thing I want you to understand, you can expect God to work in ways that we might not think are efficient and in places that we might say, oh, it's impossible for the spread of the gospel there. Oh, it's impossible. And that person would not be interested. Absolutely not. Let me show you what I'm talking about because it jumps off the pages of this passage, these two things. Here's the way I'd say the first one. God's not done with one-on-one. God's not done with one-on-one. As human beings, is it not true? If we think something's good and important, our next thought is, so how can we make this happen in the most efficient way, in the most broad way, in the fastest way, maximum impact, just get her done. But here's what you see from this passage. And if you'll read your Bible, you'll see it all throughout the scriptures. God is not in a hurry like we are. He's just not. He's not looking for you to try to find out how to maximize and make this so efficient and just be obedient. Just be obedient and get in on what he's doing. And he does things very differently. He's not locked into one formula one way. So God's not done with one-on-one, but I would say God's not opposed to mass evangelism either because it happens right in the beginning of chapter eight. We didn't read it, but at the beginning of chapter eight, look at verse five. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and reached and preached Christ to them and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. God used Philip to rock an entire city called Samaria as he preached Jesus to them. Now that's what we call evangelistic success right there. That's how you get it done. Preach to a whole city and multitudes respond. So why change the formula? But in verse 26, God sends Philip not to another city, but to one man, one man. That's how God works. He's not like us and he's not done with one-on-one. But notice also, you need to understand the context here. Acts chapter seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, this whole section, the context tells us this, persecution and resistance never derail God's plan, but only serve to accomplish his purposes. Oh, that's what you see throughout the scriptures and it's still what's going on today, folks. Persecution and resistance never derail God's plan. It's never a dead end for God, but only serves to further and accomplish his purposes. So you need to understand the gospel that rocked an entire city in the early part of chapter eight and the gospel that saved one man, the Ethiopian eunuch, is set in the context of persecution and resistance. Some of you know your Bibles well, you would know this. Acts chapter 7, we got the first Christian martyr. 
the first person to be killed, to lay down their life because they were preaching Jesus, sharing the gospel. That's how Stephen's sermon ends in Acts chapter 7. They killed him. At the beginning of Acts chapter 8, look at verse 1. Acts chapter 8 opens up talking about great persecution arose against the church. And so as this, as this death occurred, it just swept through the church a persecution, an increase in persecution. And then look at verse 3, because it talks about Saul. Right now he's Saul. Who's he going to become? But oh man, right now he's not your friend. Saul, in verse 3, it says, was making havoc of the church and dragging men and women off to prison. Good time to share the gospel? Good time to talk about Jesus? Yes, because look at verse 4. This is what God did then, and it's still what he does today and has always been doing. Look at verse 4 in this kind of context. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. As the Christians were scattered, as they just dispersed from the persecution, they just kept talking about Jesus and sharing the gospel in places they never intended to go. It just pushed this message further. Persecution only sent the message of the gospel into further places. Because get this, just because we're living in times of greater resistance and persecution does not mean it's not a good time to share the gospel. It doesn't mean that no one will want to listen or respond to it. Don't buy into that. In fact, the revival of the city, Samaritan city and the salvation of this Ethiopian eunuch are all sandwiched in between the persecution that opens up in chapter 8 and the first verse of chapter 9. Look at that. Saul still breathing threats. Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So here's what we got. Persecution. Threats. Havoc, murder, and revival. That's how God was working in the book of Acts, and that's how God still works today. But let me show you something else you can expect. Not just that God might work and use you in a way that you don't think is super efficient and can use you in a time or place that you might think it's impossible here, it's impossible with this person or this context. Let me show you, secondly, what you can expect. You can expect God to use you to reach other people, but do not expect him to give you all the details in advance. Somebody say bummer. Bummer. Isn't that hard? I think it's hard for all of us as human beings to some degree. If you're wound tight like me, type A, it's super hard. Like, I want to know what I'm getting into here. All right. It's like, oh, we just wish we had some more details so often. Look at how it goes down in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, arise, go towards the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And I laugh every time I read those three additional words that were tacked on there, because I feel like it's almost that God anticipates. And for those of you that would like more details, here's a little detail. This is desert. (laughs) What? This makes, right? This makes no sense. Why would I go into the middle of nowhere to desert? And in fact, God, if you've forgotten, we're in the middle of a revival right here in Samaria. Do it again, Lord. Take me to another city. I'll speak. Multitudes will respond. I'm, I'm, I'm your man. Let's do this thing some more. No, go south to this road and it's desert. And here's something else I want you to get. I don't want you to miss this. 
Instead of the angel speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch, right? God could have sent the angel to talk to the Ethiopian eunuch, especially since it's desert. If I understand angel stuff, right? Just whoop, he's there. A lot easier than what Philip has to do. Just, he doesn't do that. The angel, God tells the angel to tell Philip to go talk to the Ethiopian. Very inefficient. Why? I'll tell you why. Angels are not created in the image of God and angels know nothing. I hope you knew that. They're not created in the image of God, only people. And so they know nothing of ransom, redemption, rescue, forgiveness. People do. We're the ones that Jesus died for. He did not die for any angels. And the best person to share the good news of the gospel with someone else is someone who has experienced it. It's going to take longer for him to get there, but he says... To the angel, go tell Philip to go and talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. And so Philip goes, just like Abraham did, not knowing any details, just go. Not knowing any details in advance of what's going to happen. Look at verse 6. The angel just says, get on the road that heads south between Jerusalem and Gaza. Pretty vague. And only after he gets on it, does he give him another step. The spirit just gives him one step at a time as he obeys. Look at verse 29. Catch up with that. Catch up with that chariot right there. It's like, you see that chariot? Just get up next to that chariot. Go up there. And again, he still doesn't tell him who's going to be in the chariot, what's going to be going on when he gets there. All those would be questions that you would have, right? Doesn't give him any details. Just see that chariot. Run up alongside it right now. And the reason, folks, I'm just guessing, but I believe one of the reasons that God doesn't give us all the details is he doesn't need to give us all the details because he's already in the details. That's my, second, that's my third point. You can expect God to be working in people long before you arrive on the scene. Just know it. You don't have to have details. Just know every person you lay eyes on, every person you come encounter with is created in the image of God. And there's something going on in their lives. Don't make the mistake of thinking there's very few people that have any interest in this. I, I just wish in one day, perhaps there would just be a little computer screen on the front of everybody. And as you're walking and working and doing what, everything was revealed. I'm not talking about all their sin, all their struggles. What's going on in that marriage right now? What, what are their fears right now? What are they so anxious about with the kids, with their job, with their health? My mother just got breast cancer. I just was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I was just told that my job is going to be two more months and that's it. I, I, if you could see all that is going on, the lie that we tend to believe is I'm the only one that got problems. Everybody else has got the good life. It's not true. It's not true. If you knew God is working in people long before you arrive on the scene. Look at what he's already doing. Let me show you what he's already doing with the Ethiopian eunuch. Because some of it's obvious and some of it's not so obvious, but it's all amazing how God wasn't just working in Philip's life. He was already working in this Ethiopian eunuch. Jump into verse 27 again. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Here's some things that we can see and conclude. We know this guy was wealthy and educated. Wealthy, and those can be intimidating. Sometimes we think, oh, they're not going to sense any need. They're not going to have a desire for this. And they're not going to be interested in Jesus or the gospel. He's wealthy and he's educated. You say, how do you know, Brad? Well, he's reading 
lot of people couldn't read. He knows how to read, and he has his own copy of the Isaiah scroll. Folks, there was no printing press. There were no publishing houses. Oh, every scroll was hand-copied, very expensive. Very few people had private, personal copies. He's got one. He's wealthy. He's educated. And as far as his place in the world, folks, he's got one of those spots. He's made it to the top. He's got one of those corner offices It says he's in charge of all the treasury of Queen Candace of Ethiopia. All her treasury. This was a CFO of the country. This was the the secretary of treasury. This was a big deal. So he's got power, influence, wealth, education, possessions, position. But you know what else we can conclude? Despite all the power and influence and possessions and position... We know he's empty. We know he's searching. We know he's dissatisfied. You say, Brad, why? Because he just took a 500-mile trip to Jerusalem to worship God, risking the loss of his job because he's, he's not getting on a jet, right? That chariot moves slow. It's going to take him six months to a year round trip to do that. And he's willing to risk it because He's not satisfied. He is searching. He is empty. And, but it gets worse. When he got to Jerusalem, because this says he's sending Philip to him on his way home because that's when things would be even more ripe and ready. He's on his way home. Why? Because when he got to Jerusalem, what would he have found? They still are trapped in dead tradition and religion because they rejected Jesus and crucified him, the one that is the hope, the one that is our savior. He didn't hear that from them. It was dead religion. And even on worse than that, he would not have been admitted into the temple. He's taken this huge trip. But if you know anything about your Old Testament scripture, as a eunuch who's been sexually altered, he would not have been allowed in the temple. So you've got a guy who's tasted some of the best of what the world has to offer. And sometimes we're intimidated by those. Well, I can't witness to my boss, or I can't say something to the... Folks, remember this. Those people with the corner offices and those people who have what the world acts like is the good life are some of the most hungry, seeking people. Why? Because they now have what the world says would satisfy you, and it doesn't. What keeps so many people going every day is the hope of getting that stuff. When you have it, you're saying... Oh my goodness, what else? What else? What else? This is not it. So he has a fresh sense of rejection and hopelessness and unanswered questions that he had hoped to get answered when he got there. And he's on his way home. And he's reading. I don't know if he bought it while he was there. I don't know. He's reading Isaiah. There's a lot. The Old Testament's big, folks. There's a lot of places he could have been. He's reading Isaiah. Not Isaiah 6 with high and lifted up the Lord. Not Isaiah 53 that is, to me, the best place in the Old Testament to see Jesus Christ and his death and suffering and resurrection for us. He's reading Isaiah 53 and doesn't know who it's talking about but wants to know. That's all. I mean, it's like, tee it up. God's just like, pull out your gospel driver and just hit the ball, slice it wide, hook it, doesn't matter, just smack it, hit, hit the ball. I've already, this is like God saying, I've already teed it up. I've already teed it up. 
I've done the hard part. And he's doing the same for us today, folks. It's no different. He's teeing it up all the time. God is at work long before you arrive on the scene. You have no idea how ready people are and what God has already been doing in their lives before you arrive at that moment. Just assume, just assume. God's at work, God's at work, God's at work. You've heard some of my stories about people that I've had a chance to talk with, but I want to share some of them again in this context so you'll hear a theme of how ready these people were. I engaged a man that I did not know was, was a Buddhist, but as, as we talked, it came out that he was a Buddhist, but he was wealthy, antique dealer from Atlanta, huge home, tons of people all around him. But he said, I don't have any real friends, and I'm very lonely. And then I began to ask questions, as he said he was a Buddhist, about the eightfold path of peace. That's their deal. And I listened, I was polite, I asked questions, and when he finished, he said, but it doesn't work. And it wasn't just that he hadn't found hope in friends and real friends, he had found no hope in Buddhism. And then he asked me, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, he asked me a great question. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, is there any second chance for redemption after we die? Tee it up. Pull out your gospel driver and just hit it. I mean, drive a Mack truck, gospel Mack truck through that doorway. It's like, just share the gospel. So I did. I talked about Jesus and it's this life and he came and he died for us and he rose again and he paid the price and you could never. I talked with a young soldier who was on his way back to Iraq for his third tour of duty. So it made sense to say, are you scared of dying? Yes, he was. And he said, I just try not to think about it. Keep positive. Da, 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 da. But then as we talked some more, he just kept saying, because I began to move towards spiritual things, but, but he had the opinion, he had to clean himself up first. He kept saying, I just got to get iniquity out of my life. Who talks that way? I just got to get iniquity out of my life, unbeknownst to me, but not to God. Some Mormons had already gotten a hold of him on this last stay home, and it got him, him all upset about his sin. That's a good start. But gave him no hope of Jesus and the gospel, because they don't have it either. And so... I pulled out the gospel driver as he started talking about, I got to get iniquity out of my life. And I said, that's what Jesus did. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus paid. And he interrupted me while I was sharing and said, this is such good news. (laughs) Yes, it is. I agree. Oh, what what, what does everybody else in rows A, B, C, D around me think? It's like, Wow. I've told you about the man that I saw and had a conversation with all decked out. And I mean, bizarre clothing, bizarre clothing and, and accessories, lots of accessories, <laughs> blings and rings. Lots. I was like, Whoo, wow. But we talked and as we talked and moved it more towards spiritual things and I started talking Bible, he said, I read the Bible. No. Try not to look like, oh, no way. And, and I must have looked like, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> because he unbuckled and jumped into the aisle and reached in the overhead bin and brought this Bible down. It was one of those daily Bibles that tells you what to read every day. And he said, I've been doing this for six months. Every day, I read it twice. I read what you're supposed to read that day twice and write down some thoughts and questions. And even when I travel and go to friends' houses, he said, I'll say to them, go ahead and start breakfast because I'm gonna be about 45 minutes. He said, I don't miss And I said, why did you start reading the Bible? I mean, he's a bass player in a rock band. Not that they can't read the Bible, but. And he said this, 
I'm 44 years old now, and I just felt compelled to read the Bible. Who's doing that? It's not me trying to make something happen. So you got to read the Bible. You got to read the Bible. He's already been compelled to read the Bible. And now he gets to sit next to me. God's preparing people long before we show up on the scene. I had, a, I had a great conversation with a young, up-and-coming, sharp military jet fighter pilot. I mean, you can just tell this guy's sharp. He's going somewhere. He's married to a, a wife that's a psychiatrist. These are educated, sharp people. And I did not feel like talking. I'd already decided this should make you feel better. I'd already sat down and thought, not going to happen. I'm not talking. I'm tired. I'm not gonna, I've shared the gospel before. Not now. Doesn't that make you feel better? Isn't that horrible? Yes, I'll do time in purgatory. No. No. That does not exist. But it's like the spirit prompted me and said, do, do talk to him. So we started with football and we started with other stuff. And, but pretty soon we were talking spiritual things. And I kid you not, he was turned off by his church growing up. He grew up in the church, very turned off with church and all that. But he was exploring all kinds of bizarre stuff with Martians and aliens and other planets and life and related to his soul. I don't even remember what the connection was. Often people would tell me things. Oh, you've heard of blah, blah, blah. I just, no. I don't know what you're talking about. But I'm sure Oprah's waved it around and something weird. But just just smile because you want to talk about Jesus here in a minute. Whatever. As soon as the Martians settle down, just go Jesus. And so I looked for an opportunity and I just said... You're exploring all these things, but it's like he had ruled out Jesus Christ and was done with that. I said, don't do that. I said, examine the claims of Jesus Christ. Don't make your decision based on what happened to you at church growing up. Examine the claims of Jesus Christ himself. I said, read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he looked at me and said, wow, My wife and I just had a conversation and said, let's read a book a month, a spiritual book a month to decide what we believe. And we can make the New Testament one of our books. Tee it up. God's at work. God's at work. And it's not just me, folks. He's at work in people around you also. This is happening. In fact, the fact that I'm a pastor is, is not helpful. So don't look at me and say, oh, this is much better for you. No, I try to wait forever for them to know that. I don't bring it up because it's usually a showstopper. You're normal. You don't have to admit that you're a pastor. They're not going to freak out. I mean, you don't wait forever like, okay, I'm an engineer. And they're like, oh, engineer. (laughs) That's what I get with pastor folks. That's what I'm up against. It's not helpful that I'm a pastor. You're normal. You can have these conversations and God is working in people around you as well. But here, let me, let me say what some of you already been thinking. But Brad, these things don't ever happen to me. I never feel led to do anything. And I never have great spiritual conversations with anybody. My next point is for you. You ready? You can expect God to give you more opportunities as you prepare for divine appointments. Now, do you, you understand the distinction? You say, Brad, you said we can't make anything happen. We can't. But you can prepare yourself for when God does. You see the difference? I'm just saying, I'm going to prepare for divine appointments. I'm going to prepare, 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 and assume they're going to happen. I need God to make them happen, but I will prepare. That's on us. That's on us to prepare for them and to get ready. 
So right from this passage, let me lift out for you some of the ways that I think you could prepare. You say, Brad, what would I do to prepare for divine appointments? Here's the first. Start working on obeying God without question. Start working on obeying God without question. You say, how is that related? Well, here's what I would say to you, and this is going to hurt some. God speaks most to those who argue least. Ow. If you're that person that it's just always a big argument with you and God, anything he tries to lead you to do or get you to do or suggest for you to do. And, and what, what he's just going to say, oh my goodness, just stay there. I'm a, I got Christians who trust me with childlike trust and want to please me and know that I'm sovereign. I'll use them. Where does that leave you? Are you that man or woman that you make it so difficult? There's like a thousand questions, problems, poking holes with everything. If that's you, then listen to me. You won't have stories like this. You'll just spend a lifetime hearing other Christians talk about them. Work on obeying God without question. Look, look at how Philip had this in his own life. Look at verse 27. So five words, just sum it up. So he arose and went. Just like that, he arose and went. You can see it again in verse 30 when the, when the angel said, run up next to that chariot. So Philip ran to him. It doesn't say, you think about it, Philip could have, I'm sure his mind was swirling. God, I don't even know that man. God, he's dressed in a way that I can tell he's, He's a man of means. God, look what he's driving. I don't have anything like that. God, he's talking. I think he's in a meeting. I don't want to interrupt him. Maybe he's with somebody. I don't know what's going on right now. I can't just go up there. That's what he did. God speaks most to those who argue least. And I find the more I lean into this, I hope this doesn't sound spooky to you, and I cultivate an ability to sense the Spirit's leading, I get it more. Does that make sense? If you shut it down and ignore it, then it probably will never happen. But that leads to my second point, and it's an important one, about how you can prepare. Don't throw the Holy Spirit out just because we believe in the Bible. You're in a church that believes the Bible. And I know that's rarer and rarer and rarer. But you're not in a church that believes the Bible's all we need. It's us and our Bible. And the Holy Spirit was only around in the book of Acts, and he's gone. We do not believe that. And you should not live that way. Bono, the lead singer of U2, said it well when he said, religion is what happens when the spirit has left the building. Folks, God's spirit has not left the building. He's at work in our world. He's at work in unbelievers around you. He's at work in you and wants to work through you to reach others all around you. Yes, we believe. Second, second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, or 1 verse 3. I think it's 1 verse 3. That God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness in his word. This is our authority. Yes, we believe it's a closed canon of scripture. That we're not adding more scripture to the back. Whatever I think the spirit is leading me to. It's inspired and I write it down. No, 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 no. This is our authority. This is the only inspired word of God. We're not adding to it. But folks, that is not the same thing as saying. Because we have a closed canon of scripture. The Holy Spirit is no longer tapping you on the shoulder. To prod you to prompt you, to encourage you, to direct you, to guide you, to use you. Folks, 
Thank goodness for a Bible. But thank goodness for the spirit of resurrected Jesus Christ living in us also. Both. We desperately need both in these days that we're living in. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I'm quoting from him on purpose because if you know that name, then you know that is a serious, stuffy, button-down, Bible-believing guy. Not, he would never have been on TV with the hair swept back and an expensive little dog and a sports car. This is not some wild charismatic by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, this will help you. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached through the book of Romans to his church family for 13 years. Yeah. So I think I went too fast. So there's this guy, and here's what he said. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine. You're in a church where we say doctrine matters. Yes. It's not just give me Jesus, don't give me doctrine. Doctrine matters. But I agree with what he says next. I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine and the other half telling them that doctrine is not enough. You need the spirit of God in your life, at work in your life, and an awareness of that. And you need to be filled with the spirit as you have sound doctrine to engage our culture. It's God's word and his spirit both. It's not either or, and they're not opposed to each other. You don't have to make a decision. Do I believe the Bible or do I think God's spirit still leads? And let me say this. Here's where we've gotten scared. And some of you maybe have already seen this. The spirit will never lead you to do something contrary to what the scriptures say. Okay, so this whole business, I'm not happy. I know I don't have grounds for divorce, but the spirit told me I can divorce her. Hallelujah. No, if God's word says you can't, you can't. That's not the spirit. That could be last night's anchovies for all we know, right? Plus you got your own sinful flesh rearing up, saying stuff to you. You got an enemy, Satan, lying to you. Is this messy? Can it be confusing? Yes, To know, how do I know that's the spirit? I agree. And many times you'll know it's not if it's in contrary to this. If it's right in line with this, many times you'll know, yes. And then I just choose to lean into it. If I I go that direction and find out it doesn't seem like anything was really going on with that person, what's the loss, right? We need both word and spirit. Because look at verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake That chariot. Let me ask some questions that some of you might be asking right now. So, was that an audible voice that he heard out loud or was it just inside his head? And how did he know it was the Holy Spirit? What is it? Does it have a certain voice and he knew that? How would you know it's the Holy Spirit or not the Holy Spirit? And did that happen all the time to him or was this the first time or something he was accustomed to? Ready? I don't know. (laughs) Because the Bible doesn't say. But I know it means something. And I do know what the Bible has not said. The Bible has not said that the Holy Spirit has left the building. The Bible has not said that now today, Christians are not filled with the Spirit and the Spirit won't be doing anything in your life or through your life to others. He is. So I want to say, whatever that was, I want to understand it better. And I want to have that more in my life. Both doctrine and spirit. You can find at least 18 occurrences of this extraordinary kind of guidance where the Spirit directs Christians. But it's all in the context of dozens of examples of where they just make decisions in very normal ways. So here's how I would say it to you. Don't 
get in your mind, I'm waiting on the Spirit to tell me what to have for breakfast or what shirt to put on. Or, no, 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 no. Just, just. So it's not that we, it's not that we like, I have to have this extraordinary. Because here's the thing. Those stories I just told earlier, I know this is an example in Acts 8 where God by his spirit directed Philip, I mean, out of his way to go do this. And he'll do that sometimes, sometimes. All the stories I shared with you, I was going where I needed to go next and doing what I needed to do next anyway. But expecting that God is working in people. So here's how I'd say it to you. Life is filled with just... Oh, day after day after day after day of just ordinary, 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 ordinary. Don't miss out on now because you're always looking for wow. Okay? So much of this happens just in the now. The ordinary right here, right now. Keep going to that same job. Go to the gym. Go to the same Starbucks you go to. Go to the grocery store that you go to. Do all the normal things that you do but with a greater expectation that God's at work and an attentiveness that, is there someone he wants me to talk to? Is there something he wants me to do? Is there someone he wants to use me? Let me tell you another way to prepare. Learn to ask good questions. I've said this to you before, but learn to ask good questions. Philip didn't just jump in and start preaching a sermon to him. He asked a question. Look at the question in verse 30 at the end. Do you understand what you're reading? Far more than making ultimate statements or attacking people with accusations, I try to ask good questions. And Philip asked a good question. Let me tell you another way to prepare. Refuse to chase cultural rabbits and talk about Jesus. I know it's hard because they want you to chase them. There was a day, if you're old enough, I am, where the thing that you would get thrown in your face most often would have been smoking, drinking, movies, when you're trying to talk to someone about the church or Christianity or Jesus. What well, can I smoke? Or whatever. I, th- this day is not that day. But you know what it has become? Sexuality. Gender issues, right? Aren't you feeling that? It's like, as soon as they find out you're a Christian, they're going after that, and you, and you get all gnarled up in that, Let me help you. Don't let sexuality and gender issues overshadow and derail you from talking to people about Jesus and the gospel. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I hope this will just help you take a sigh. Oh, regardless of their sexuality, regardless of what they might be wrestling with, regardless of even if they are a man who's had surgery to become a woman or a woman who's had surgery to become a man or it's just a man who is now saying please call me she i've changed pronouns you don't have to sort all that out here's the deal regardless of how they were born or what they are today or how they choose to identify themselves here's what we do know every single person you look at and you encounter is created in the image of god and is going to stand before god and needs Jesus. Get to Jesus. You don't have to sort out how they're dressed, how they look, the pronouns they're choosing. And let me help you. I don't think it's wrong. You can disagree. I don't think it's wrong. If they want to, if they say that she's a she, I'll call her she. I'm not trying to prove a point. No, you're a he. I'm going to share the gospel right now to a he. I give them, you know what? Let's not go there, right? That's not the biggest concern. The biggest concern is it doesn't matter what's happened to the outside of your body or who you've chosen to be called by. Inside, you have a soul and you're created in the image of God and you're going to spend eternity somewhere and I want to talk to you about Jesus and the gospel. You can do that. You can do that. Refuse to chase cultural rabbit. Now, don't hear me saying 
Don't spend any time thinking through some answers on that. But I think you get scared when you think, I've got to be able to use my Bible to unravel these gnarly issues today. I hope some of you get better at that. But I want all of you to still simply think, I need to bring it back to Jesus. This person needs Jesus. Let's go Jesus. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about Jesus. Jesus died for them regardless of sexuality and gender issues. You can talk to them about Jesus. Look at verse 35. It says, then Philip opened his mouth. Now right there, there's something worth noting, right? It's not, and Philip knew by how kind he was because he ran up next to the chariot and he buffed the wheels and said, surely that kindness will cause him to think, hey, I guess he's a Christian and Jesus died for my sins. No, you must speak. This whole, I hope my life will point people to Jesus. I hope your life will point people to Jesus. Just make sure your life doesn't contradict what you're about to say, but you must speak. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Can you use your Bible and preach Jesus to somebody? Do you know a few key verses And ways to share the hope of the gospel in Jesus. Not can you unravel every problem someone may pitch to you. And notice my next point on how to get prepared. Use the Bible as much as possible. Your testimony may get someone's attention. So I have told you, just share your testimony. Your testimony, how how he's changed your life. But listen to me. Sharing your testimony and sharing the gospel are not the same thing. Sometimes it might be woven in there. Your testimony may get someone's attention It's God's word that changes lives. You got to use God's word. Once you have their attention, please use scripture. Either quote it. I don't always have my Bible with me. Either quote it or use it if you have it with you, but use the Bible. Don't chase cultural rabbits and use the Bible, which means you might need to get to know your Bible a little better. Notice in verse 35, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. What that means is, Philip started with Isaiah 53, but Philip went other places. He knew some other scriptures and all he had was the Old Testament to do this. He knew some other, beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And then let me show you one more thing you can do to prepare that is so essential. Refuse to limit the categories of who you think God might assign you to reach. Is it true that like attracts like and you'll have something in common and you're a young mom with young kids at the playground, it's likely you're gonna make friends there and talk? Yes, 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 don't hear me saying. But please know if you go through life thinking I can only reach out to and talk to people that are like me, like me, like me. If you only reach out to people that are like you, I would tell you you're probably not listening to the Holy Spirit enough. From the very beginning in the book of Acts, you can see the Holy Spirit pushing believers to cross cultural barriers and cross racial barriers and cross economic barriers. Just in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, maybe this doesn't grab you, but you need to understand when I'm talking about Philip preaching to Samaria and a revival happened there, those are people the Jews hated and despised. They would make their trip longer By going around Samaria. There was a quicker way to go. They would not even go through Samaria. They hated those people. They considered them half-breeds. Because when the Jews were drug off to captivity in Assyrian Babylon, some Jews were left in the land and they intermarried with pagans and they compromised and they considered them traitors. They hated them. And he went there and preached. He was called to preach to Samaritans. If you keep reading and get to chapter 10, you'll see where Peter, God called Peter... 
to go to a Roman centurion soldier's house, go inside and preach to him and his family and friends that have been gathered there. I know that doesn't grab you in the way it should, but for them, that was a huge no-no. You would be defiled even going in that Gentile's house. But he pushes them, go to a Roman centurion's. And now here we've got Philip. We've got Philip reaching out to a black, African, wealthy, sexually altered man. These two people could not be more different. And for the Jews, Ethiopia would have been on the outskirts of civilization. God says, go, talk to this person. There's a young man in our church that I had a meal with recently that had the opportunity to invite a transgender man who's now a woman and has a fiance to his home for a meal. You're like, how in the world would that happen? It happened by the Spirit on the street by divine appointment. And he wasn't like in a search for someone to talk to. He was just doing what he needed to do next, going where he needed to go next. And as he's walking down the sidewalk, a car was parallel parking there. And this couple got out of the car and saw his t-shirt. He had some Hebrew words on it. And they said, hey, what does your shirt say? And he said, foundation for truth, which is what it said. And they began a spiritual conversation and he invited them to come to his home for a meal. And you might think, oh, I'm sure they won't. No, they went. They went to his home. Not to debate, but just to befriend them and love them. But of course, they began to ask questions. And it did turn into two, three hours of intense spiritual conversation. But how wonderful for that to happen in the context of a home with love and friendship and food. Rather than a Christian standing on the street railing against someone just screaming things at them. People And you say, why would they say yes? Because God is at work in every single person. And every single person is created in the image of God. But let me conclude with one last expectation. Because it so encourages me when I think this way. And I want you to be encouraged this way. You can expect God to do more with that one encounter. If you do some one-on-one. With that one encounter than you could ever imagine. Even if you don't see it all or learn all in this life. You don't know where that person's going to go and how God's going to use them. And even if it wasn't received well, folks, the story's not over. You may have been one person that planted a seed. And then this person, six months later, 18 months later, someone at work says something or does something. And then someone in the neighborhood to you, you just might get to be a part of it. I'm not telling God when he has to harvest. I don't have the sickle in my hand. I am to sow seed. I'm to sow seed. I'm to sow seed. I've seen very few people, folks, I hope this makes you feel better, drop to their knees and say, yes, I've been waiting for this. I want to become a Christian right now. I don't see that. But I have the joy of being led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit of sharing the good news of Jesus and the gospel and seeing people are very, very, very ready to hear it and ask questions. We can't know for sure, but the early church father in the second century, Irenaeus, he wrote in the second century that this Ethiopian eunuch went back to his country and became a missionary to that entire region. We can't know for sure because it's not in the Bible, but that is early church history. That's what happens when people meet Jesus. Because notice what it says about the Ethiopian. Notice what it says about him in verse 39, right at the end. And he went on his way. Say it. Rejoicing people tell other people about Jesus and what he's done for them. 
And that's still happening today. South Korea, folks, went from 0% Christian to 40 or 50% in 100 years. Africa went from 9% Christian to 50% in 100 years. And China right now is on track to do the same thing in the next 100 years. With thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming to Christ. And all we could do is just turn and thank the communists for what they did that only made people more hungry for the gospel as they closed the country and shut it down and said, you can't have a Bible. Folks, you can't stop God. And we just get to get in on what he is doing. He's given us his word. This is authoritative. He's given us his spirit. And he's given us his promise that he is working in people long before you arrive on the scene. Listen, it's not just my stories or the book of Acts stories. Right now, I want you to rethink the people you work with, the people that live on your street, the people that live in your apartment complex, the people you're, you're sitting in classes with on that middle school campus or high school campus or college campus, the people that are at the same gym you go to or the, or the Starbucks you frequent. If you could only know the work that God is doing in preparing them And there's some divine appointments. You can't make it happen, folks. But you can prepare and say, God, I'm willing to be a part of what you are doing. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for your promise that you're the one that's at work in men and women and children and black and white and young and old and rich and poor and sick and healthy and athletic and not athletic. Thank you for the work that you are doing. Lord, I pray that you would stir us in a fresh way for the joy of getting in on what you're doing. We don't want to try to make things happen, but God, thank you that you, you can do far more than we could ever imagine through our weak, frail, fearful, simple words and deeds and acts and choices. Build your church. Use us for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.